0: Well, we're continuing in our series of church and family, and these are two institutions God uses to invade this world, so that the world will see who He is and how to have a relationship with Him. Well, this morning I want to return to the family side of the equation. The first week we started on family, then we went to the church, and this week we want to return to the family. But I want to ask a simple question. How is it that we, in our families, can build a resilient faith? How do we build a resilient faith? Not merely in our children, but in our entire family. That's what we want to go after. As we think about this, we need to remember that if you're a parent here this morning, if you're a grandparent, some of us may even be great-grandparents, kids are watching. Kids are looking. They're seeing. They're drawing some conclusions about what's going on in the family. So we need to dig in this morning. If you have your Bible, could I encourage you to open with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to read just a couple verses here at the beginning. If you're able to stand, could I invite you to stand? I'm going to read verses 1 to 3 in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now this is the commandment the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, be careful to do them, that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. I want to pray as we dig in. I know we've been singing about the goodness of God. We've been talking about some of these things and we sang it as well. I know this morning there's people here It's not so well. And maybe you mouth those words. Maybe they even came out with some volume. But in your heart, they're not there. That's okay. We don't want you to stay there, but what we're going to look at is that we need to be honest. Just tell God you're not there. Just be honest. What we need to do as a body is move into the word of God and let him speak to us today because he has something good for us, something he wants to speak into our hearts so that we'll live differently. Let's pray together. Father, we just pray this morning. We know that the times are challenging. We know that there's confusion in the land. We know that families are pulling and being stretched, some to the breaking point and some beyond. And so, God, we need you to invade this moment. Let us hear your word as you speak about the realities in which we live so that we could trust you and live differently. We ask, God, that all of us would have ears to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, the first thing that we need to do as we think about building a resilient faith is experience God. We need to experience God. I want to drill down into this, but as we get into this message, let me just remind you, this is a good time to pull out your cell phone. We're going to do some texting. There's a number on the slides in the upper right-hand corner. If there's something I say, if there's something that's confusing, we're going to take some time at the end of the message to engage with each other. If you're online, I want to encourage you, you participate as well. Send in your text to, those, no, to that number. Uh, it is anonymous. I don't know who's texting what. But we want to engage with whatever questions come up. Well, as we read this passage this morning, we read just a, a few verses here. And I'm talking about resilient faith. I know you're a smart group of people. I know the ones watching online are doing the same thing. You're reading this and you're saying... I don't see the word faith in that passage at all. And you know why you don't see it? Because it's not there. But it's assumed. All through what we're going to see this morning is the issue of believing God is just woven into all of this. But the problem is, too many of us read a passage like this and we start hearing the word commandment, we start hearing the word statutes, we start hearing the word rules, and then all of a sudden he's telling us to do them, and here's what we hear. One plus one equals three. Right? Somehow, if I do this and add this, I'm going to experience God. But that's not the way the Bible reads. This is a personal God that has already revealed Himself. We're in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the fifth book, right, of the Pentateuch. Already we know who the Creator is. We know that He made us in His image. He made us male and female. He made us unique from all the creation. There would be no creation if God didn't make this creation. Right? He spoke it into existence. And all of this is brought into the passage that there is this personal God that loves people, that created them in His image so that we could be in relationship with Him. All of that comes in. Now, we know if we read the whole Pentateuch, we would see that as God called out Abraham and then as he built into Isaac and then Jacob, Jacob becomes the 12 tribes. The 12 tribes go uh, into Egypt. They finally leave Egypt, right? If you read all this, you would see it. But here's what happened. We know that a whole generation of people did not believe God. And God said, I'm going to raise up another generation. And that's exactly what Moses is doing, is he's preparing this generation to be people of faith. Now when we think about faith, we live in a culture that sometimes says, I just need to believe, right? I've got to somehow work up enough faith. And usually it goes something like this, I either need to have a quality of faith, It's got to be of such a fabric or fiber that it's resilient in and of itself or I need a lot of faith. The quantity. But that's really not how all this works. Because when you pray, when you seek the Lord, when you're trying to live life in this fallen, broken world and things don't go the way you want, you're now stuck. With either a deficient faith, I don't have enough faith, or it's not strong enough, or the enemy wants us to attack God. God is not able to do this. So the passage is foking us in a whole new direction. But before we get too far, let me take a moment and just bring us into the passage So, that I can highlight a couple things so that we're all understanding the contrast that I'm trying to make. So, it says this now, this is the commandment, right? This is the beginning of chapter 6, verse 1. And we start hearing the word commandment, and it's like, okay, I gotta do, I gotta do, I gotta do. And then he lays out the statutes and the rules, right? And then we get this idea of the Lord your God commanding me, right? So now there's a sense of of this command to what? To do them, right? So this is where we're going into this passage. And I'm saying, wait a minute, it all is tied to God and who he is. But God wants us to learn and grow with him and we could go through this a little more but let me just say one more thing here down here it says be careful to do them why so that it may go well with you. And that's where we start the one plus one. Yeah, if I don't obey, then all of a sudden you start asking yourself, have I obeyed enough? Have you ever been there? Where you just start thinking, okay, I know I'm trying to do this, I'm trying to do this, but all of a sudden I don't measure up or something doesn't go the way I want. And so things begin to fall apart. And so what we see in this passage is that it's not quite that way. Now let me just say, we are saved We are delivered from our sin by faith alone. It's always faith and only faith. But as the great reformer said, it is a faith that saves alone, but that faith is never completely alone. Now what do I mean by that? In other words, there is an element that comes, as we believe God, on the flip side, if we thought of a coin, on one side of the coin it says, by faith alone alone. But on the other side of the coin we recognize that there is obedience and that obedience is worked out as we trust God. But it's never our works. It's never the way we obey that will get us into heaven that causes us to find full and final forgiveness. Right? James wrote the same thing. James chapter 2 verse 17 it says this, so also by faith or so also faith by itself if it does not have works is dead he talks about it being a dead faith Uh, an alive faith is a faith that produces works that brings about the obedience james goes on and writes do you want to be shown you foolish person that faith apart from works is useless and so he raises the question do you want to see that faith that has no works is useless and then he gives an illustration and the illustration he gives is abraham abraham it says believed god trusted God, had faith in God, and it was reckoned to him, it was given to him as righteousness. But then what did he do? He was asked to sacrifice his one and only son, Isaac. And that's exactly what Abraham did. He went all the way to the point where he was actually, in his heart, going to sacrifice Isaac. It was God who stopped him, or an angel from the Lord, who stopped him and so what we see james writing is that faith and works go together but it's the faith in god and ultimately it's god who does the delivering james goes on and says you see that faith was active along with abraham's works and faith was completed by his works so there's an element of these things working together but let's dive just a little bit deeper into this issue of faith, because I think it's way more complex of a situation than sometimes we give credence to. When I was in high school, I I got into a place uh, where I wanted to learn to make bread. Now, part of that was because of a friend, right? And some of you that make bread or have done some of this, you know that the ingredients can vary, but simply, right, you have some flour. You usually have some sugar, maybe some eggs, right? And you, you start putting this together. But, but the critical ingredient for bread, right, is, is the yeast. And it doesn't take a lot of yeast. I remember when I was in high school, I was, I was learning how to do this, that if the water was too cold, the yeast wouldn't operate, But if the water was too hot, it would ruin the yeast as well. It had to be the right temperature. And so as I took the yeast, and as I made this, I then started to knead the yeast into the bread and throughout. So I had this little lump of dough, and I'm pressing it and pressing it and folding it and turning it and pressing it, and working that yeast into the dough. Then I would take that lump of dough and I'd put it in a bowl and I found a warm place in the house, put a little towel over it and set that bowl in this warm closet. And then all of a sudden, over the next couple of hours, what would happen? The bread would begin to grow and this lump of dough became really, really huge. And then, of course, I'd take it, beat it down, knead it again, and I'd let it rise a second time. Isn't it interesting that the Bible uses yeast as a description of sin? Because yeast, as it works through the whole lump of dough, it, it's all through it. Well, sin does the same thing. It just works its way into the fabric of everything we're about. We have a very difficult condition. A difficult condition. Here's a picture, right? The Garden of Eden. We can't even hardly fathom what happened in the Garden of Eden. But that rebellion brought what we call sin into the world. Sometimes we use the picture of darkness. Jesus used that picture. That darkness just spread throughout the land. We cannot write, we cannot think, we cannot comprehend how this yeast, this sin, worked itself into the whole world. But it did. It did. It's a horrendous problem. There's only one person who could resolve the problem. And of course, that's God. And God knew all this was going to happen. This didn't catch him by surprise. He wasn't shaken up by this. It says in Ephesians, he says, Before the foundations of the world, right, Jesus was ready to be slaughtered to pay for this rebellion, this sin. But what I need you to grab hold of is the destructive nature of it. That it it spreads. It's in your heart and it just spreads. You try to control it. You try to say no to it. It's still going to break out of you. It's there. No self-help book is going to get you through this problem. No amount of counseling is going to get you out of the problem of the real depth and width, breadth of sin itself that has permeated our whole world. But if there's a difficult condition, the path is difficult as well. See, you're a sinner, and I'm a sinner. Many of us are married, you married a sinner your spouse married a sinner. If you're single and you have friendships, your friends are sinners just like you're a sinner. And and there's conflict because what happened? This yeast is part of the whole network of relationship. And some of you are looking at this little child, right, covering her ears, wondering what in the world how is this fight going to shake out and and some of you have been part of that you see yourself in that little girl maybe you're a little boy and you remember how loud it got and how destructive it got and some of you may even remember that some of that anger some of that brokenness some of that pain was brought on you personally maybe you were brought into a back room and beat maybe you were sexually abused maybe This sin took on things that are so heinous you can't even think to mention it. That's that's what's happened. It's changed everything in the world. The family, when I say it's being pulled apart, it's because there's all of this yeast. Our kids are being bombarded with it. Our grandchildren are being bombarded with it. And it's coming through every portal, every way that it can make its way into the hearts of our kids. It's coming. There's no stopping it. There's no stopping it. So there's this difficult condition, there's this difficult path that all of us have to walk. We can't escape it. But let's complicate it even more. We live in a difficult time. Everything's coming unglued. Everything. The way we view ourselves, the way we view sexuality, the way we view genderism, the way we view marriage, the way we view community, the way we view liberty, the way we view, and you just multiply this list. You know why that is? It's because yeast is permeating all of culture, and you're part of it. I'm part of it. And God's invasion into the world was that I have a plan. I have a plan to roll back this darkness. I have a plan to deal with it. And that's what we're reading is he wants us to experience him. And so if we go back into this passage just for a moment, we look at this look what he says so you don't miss this he says he goes on and he says all these things so you keep them and then he says all the days of your life right he talks about this that it'll go well with you right that he'll multiply this is all tied to the promises of god and then he talks about that your days would be long over here. I missed that one. And then he promised a land flowing with milk and honey. All of these are pictures of goodness and abundance. And it's all tied to the fearing of the Lord. We experience God when God is in his rightful place when we jump into the river of grace when we recognize that god has a way for us to live in relationship to him then we begin to experience these healthy things this going well with you multiplication and a beautiful picture of a land flowing with milk and honey, right? It's so poetic of abundance and beauty and magnificence. And of course, it's painting a picture looking forward to the beauty and magnificence and wonder and grandeur that would come through the person of Jesus Christ. And we experience all of this when we are walking in the ways of, of the statutes and the rules and the commandments. When we don't break from what God says, but that's the issue of faith. Are we going to believe God, or are we going to believe what the world says? And what Moses is calling the people to do is you gotta believe God, you gotta trust him. He's telling us how all of this needs to work together. Well, let's go to the next section of scripture here because we'll see it another way here. It's here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart and so you begin to see what Moses is writing and here's my second point is that we need to express love to God so as we experience God by faith as we believe him for what he's doing and we recognize what God is doing in the midst of all of it we need to as it says here is express this love this devotion to God Now look at what he says in this passage. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. This is, as some people say it, an all-in faith. Not an add-on faith, but an all-in kind of faith. And what our kids are seeing, what our grandkids are watching, what some of our great-grandkids are observing is that there's too much of an add-on faith instead of an all-in faith. And so the picture that I've tried to roll with is this picture of a rope, right, that there's this idea that God has invaded this world through the institution of the church. And the church is where we learn how to walk with God, where we learn to do it in community. But we also learn it in the family. And these are woven together. And taking this out of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12, it says a rope or a cord of three stand- strands is not easily broken. So when we're weaving this with God at the center, when he's the pinnacle of what we're doing, when we recognize that Jesus Christ is, is all in all then we begin to see this but what we think we can do is start ripping apart one of the strands say oh i don't really need to do family the way god lays out family that it's a foundation of marriage and the home and that mom and dad are responsible for helping them see and then where moms and dads need to learn is that they find it in the church and the kids begin to grow in church but here's what's happening in our culture more and more is church becomes an add-on It's an add-on when it's convenient. So we teach our kids that, hey, this music thing over here is way more important on this Sunday morning. Now, I'm not trying to collapse everything into a do-do-do. What I'm trying to say is, what is it? Is it loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and showing priorities and purpose in life? Or is it that we're imbibing too much into the world's values and systems and all of a sudden theater and music and sports now get center stage and our kids see it and that's where we recognize at Fox Valley Church we have these values and one of the values we talk about is the primacy of worship and prayer it's an important value is that we recognize that we come and we worship. And I don't know about you, but the worship was so moving this morning. It's powerful. But some of us, like, we're not engaged. And our kids are watching. I'm not trying to throw a guilt trip here. What I'm trying to say is we've got to be honest. Honest with our kids and honest with our own lives. Hey, my heart just wasn't in it today. I'm really struggling to trust God, and here's why. Our kids need to hear that. Our grandkids need to see that mom and dad and grandparents, we we struggle. Life is hard. Sin has permeated. And we need to be honest and say, yeah, I'm struggling today, instead of going through the motions. And what we create is an add-on faith why our value is so important. Why prayer? Encourage people to come down for prayer. Because God hears prayers and he changes things. That's what he says about himself. That he's listening and it's this fight of faith. Now when we get into this fight of faith, let me tell you the devil attacks two areas about God's character. Two areas primarily. Here's the first one. The goodness of God. The devil loves to attack that see your god's not good you see all the pain in your life you see all the brokenness you see all this that just shows you god is not good and the devil just attacks that what happens in worship and what happens when we pray is god begins to speak and god begins to move and we have to have a sense of mystery how does all this happen if you ask me to put it into a formula i could never do it but if i tell you it happens you got to believe me. Why do I believe it? Because the word of God says It's that God is working in the hearts of people all the time. He's drawing people that are far from him to himself. People that are in a relationship with him. He is already moving, drawing them closer to him. Why do I know that? Because the Bible says that. And so we have to begin to wrestle with these things. But the enemy is attra- attacking the goodness of God. So we're singing a song good good father and some of us are like really do you know what happened to me when I was a kid and you're telling me he's good do you know what's happened in my life in the past year and you're telling me to sing God is a good father but Jesus said he was a good father He says, you as human parents, you know what father, when he is asked by his son to give him a loaf of bread, the father gives him a stone. We know how to give good gifts. What Jesus does then is he turns it all on its head. If you being evil, evil, are you kidding me? Yes. We're nowhere in comparison to God. Then he points it to how good God is and the enemy wants to exploit that. And destroy it. And so we need to be in church where we get encouragement from other believers. Where we can hear people. If we're honest, that things are knocking us sideways. We need to believe. Here's the second area real quickly. The devil attacks. And then we're going to take some texting in just a moment. The devil attacks the ability of God. Is God really able to do this? So he attacks the goodness of God and he attacks the ability of God. Well, let me hit this third passage real quickly, this third section I want to look at. And that is verses 7 and 9. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Teach this to your children. Teach them about God. You shall talk with them. When you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost and on your house and on your gates. So here's my third point. We need to embrace God. We need an all-in faith. Notice what he says. Everywhere you go, you need to be talking about God. You're driving in the car. Do you see anything about God out there? You're out for a walk. Do you see anything about God you can point him to? You're out on a bike ride. Wherever you are, you're constantly thinking How can I bring God into my life and picture of what God is doing right now? We don't need an add-on faith. We need an all-in kind of faith. I have three grown children. I have seven grandchildren. I talk to a lot of people. And people say, I don't know. What's going to happen to this generation? Or what's going to happen to the next generation? I found myself saying that. And I realize that's a problem with my view of God. God, just like he did in this passage, he raised up a whole new generation to move into the promised land. Do you believe that God is raising up your children for such a time as this? Do you believe that God is raising up your grandchildren for such a time as this? God has not abandoned this world. He has invaded it with the church and the family so that we would see who He is and stand in awe of Him. So I know I've said a lot, want to take some questions, and in order to help me this morning, I'm going to invite Lori up. Lori, if you'll come on up, maybe some questions have already come in. You can still text them. There's the number on the slide. Uh, You can text to that number, and uh, maybe we can dive in this morning.
1: Yeah, we have one, so yeah, please text your questions if you have (laughs) any. (laughs) Um, So this first question says, how do you discern what God's will is for your life? I felt this was easier before having a family. The decisions we make can affect generations in a positive or negative way.
0: Okay, great question. Uh, Here's some, some thoughts that come to mind whenever we discern the will of God, right? God sometimes speaks like so clearly it feels audible. Sometimes it may be audible. But that tends not to be the way he engages what he tends to do, right, is uses his spirit. The spirit speaks into our heart, always in line with the will of God. So we need to be in the word of God to help discern the will of God. Then we need people around us. So let's say you're making a big decision about life or about things happening. I would encourage you to get some men and women if you're a man bring some other men around you if you're a woman bring some other women and say hey i'm really struggling with what school to go to if i'm a student i'm really struggling with what job to take and you begin praying into it now you need honest friends right you need people to speak the truth because sometimes people won't say the hard things say "I, i think that would be bad to go in that direction so the spirit uses the word he uses people, and then he often uses experiences, right? So this is where we use our minds. we got to love God with all of our minds. Nothing wrong with making a pro-con sheet and start listing out. Here are some positive things about this. Here are some negative things. And you begin to pray through it and bring them to your prayer partners. Bring it to other people and say, could you pray with this Over me, and I I think that's how we begin to discern. Now, ultimately, what we also want is we don't want to take that step of faith, right? We somehow want it to be like magic in front of us, and it's God calls us to trust Him. He's not going to trick you. He's not playing games with you. He is going to lead you. Now, let me caution you: we can also get impulsive. If it's still unclear, wait. On the Lord. Wait on the Lord. He will eventually make clear where he's leading. you. Yeah. So I hope that helps yeah. and gives some practical direction.
1: Yeah, that's good. And I like how you said the impulsiveness. I mm. find myself doing that a lot, like getting impulsive with an answer and wanting to take control and doing what I want to do and not waiting on the Lord. Mm. Yeah, and his, you're not alone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's another one. Do you have any advice on how to balance juggling an edifying social life? with the church, and a life centered around outreach for an introvert with a very low level of social energy.
0: (laughs) Okay, Uh, first of all, God's made all of us different. There are some people here, uh, I describe it this way, you could run a three-ring circus. You've got all the energy, all the imagination to do it all, and God made you that way. And God has made some of us like we can barely keep a one-ring circus going. And that's the way God made you. And so this is where it takes faith and to believe. What is God calling you to do? He is calling you to be involved in church. He is calling you to be involved in family. There's nothing wrong with boundaries. But it's where we often put our boundaries that is the problem. We're not allowing the world, the word to sufficiently inform us of where the boundaries go. So I don't have a lot of energy, so I'm gonna spend it all in sports and sports activities. And I'm not really trusting God to get some priorities. Now I know this gets into tensions with kids, how to raise kids, but you're the parents. And here's something in our culture that's been lost. We've lost authority. So often their peers or someone else has more authority than parents. That's very destructive. And we need to reclaim our rightful place that God has given us as mom and dad to speak authority into this. So I think we've got to recognize who we are, the strength God has given us, keep a very clear list of purpose and priority. God knows the challenges and the tensions. He's not going to abandon you, and he's going to lead you into how to live this out and it's gonna look different for everybody and that's the beauty of the body of Christ I love it because everyone looks a little different in how they live it out
1: yeah that's good this question I think kind of um, piggybacks off that it says with everything going on in the world activities events etc how do families keep Christ at the center practical advice would be appreciated
0: <laughs> okay I thought I was being a little practical by showing a rope and saying that <clears throat> worship and prayer, so you've got to be creative in what worship looks like in your family. It may not be singing, but it may be singing. It may be reading scripture. It may be praying out loud and saying, wow, look at all that God has given us and express worship to God. It may be taking a walk and saying, let's look at what God has done. This summer, we were walking with my children and grandchildren, we were all in Colorado, and we just stopped by the edge of a lake. And we wanted to acknowledge the beauty of the Rocky Mountains and what God had created. Just a moment, right? Just a moment, it's a teaching moment of recognition. So I think we've got to do it, just like Deuteronomy says, as we're walking down the path, as we're driving in the car. You can have a great worship time in your car. You can have an awesome time. Put on a worship song. Most of us have our phones with us and put on a worship song and just begin teaching and singing. And, and God doesn't care about whether you're off note or you know, you're singing off key. It doesn't matter. Your kids are going to begin to see these things. Right? So I think there's a way to do that and then bringing them to church. I love what Cindy's doing in Journeyland is that Journeyland has a, a season of worship as well. So they're learning some worship songs Make sure you take those songs and do them in your family worship. See how the church and family work together. There's also worksheets where they do something in Journeyland, come back at home in the afternoon or a couple days into the week, Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, and just start looking at that lesson and review it. And that's how you begin to weave these things together in a very practical way so we're not trying to add more we're just saying as you're driving as you're walking as you're going for a bike ride take a moment and look at the flowers look at the birds look at the the trees look at all that God has created and acknowledge his greatness so we probably have time for one more okay
1: all right so last one then how do Christians engage in the serious topics in our culture when they can't agree (laughs) (laughs) Punt. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know that our job is agreement. This is one of the things I think the pastoral council at Fox Alley Church wrestled with through all the time since last, uh, in March 2020, Was was the goal agreement, or was the goal unity? And I think the process is reverence for other people and their views, even when you disagree. And I think we listen. And I, I think this is really powerful. Remember this woman uh, comes up to Jesus in Luke, and, and she's, she's been hemorrhaging all her life. And she, she says, if I could just grab Jesus' cloak, right, his robe, And she grabs it. She she believes this, this rabbi could heal her. You know how the story unfolds? Jesus knew that some power came out of him. But he does something that we should all do. He turned to that woman and he said, Tell me your story. Tell me your story. Doesn't use those exact words, but that's exactly what he's doing. And I think we don't take enough time or interest or love to say, tell me your story. Tell me why you're where you are and how you got there. Can we love people even when we disagree? (coughs) Yes. Can we sharpen each other in our disagreements? Absolutely. And I think that that's what God's calling us to do. And in the church, we have got to learn to come together in unity, even when there's disagreements, learn how to love each other. This is where our kids watch. This is where they're looking, and they see us and what we do. How we talk at the dinner table, right? All these things. Taking time to pray for someone. Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you. Have you shown your kids, your grandkids, how to pray for those that you just vehemently disagree with? So I think these are practical ways we can step into the fray. And then only God can fix some of the division here, right? And that's the hard thing. We want everything fixed now. And sometimes God says, you know what? until Jesus Mm -hmm. returns there's gonna be a messy messy difficult life so I hope this helps a little bit Uh, I know I'm learning as I go I'm pressing into these things by the grace of God as well and it's only by his grace trusting him that he is at work in the midst of it let's go ahead and pray father thank you for this time Thank you, God, that you speak into our lives. Thank you for these questions, and I know these are hard things, and these can all be multiplied into numerous situations. God, we need your wisdom as we read your word. We need your insights, your discernment of how to live in this fallen, broken, messy world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.